G'day and welcome to Runners Radio. As always, brought to you by Runners.com. Your running coach anytime, anywhere. I am your host and head coach, Rick Mirabella. And today, we have a very special edition of the Coach's Corner. Yet another collaboration with an expert in the field. Joining me today is the co-founder, director and head physiologist at Mets Performance Consulting. And he's also the host of a little podcast called The Physiology Secrets. I welcome Luke McElroy. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here, buddy. Now, now, Luke is one of the real great physiologists in our industry, and I've watched him from afar for three to four years now, and he's doing some great things. Mets Performance, um, they've been bridging the gap, and it was definitely a niche that had to be filled for amateur and age group athletes, um, obviously young students, high school and uni as well. The VO2 and lactate testing, uh, it's a real passion of mine as well, and it's great to have Luke here to discuss what in endurance sport is such a massive, massive factor. Before we go any further, I just really want to um, welcome Luke and then get a real quick background on, on him, and because it is the first time we've had him on here, and I guess what inspired him as an athlete and then a coach and a physiologist to start METS. So I'll welcome you, buddy, again, and, and just give us a real quick background on yourself, buddy, and, and how it all came about, how METS came to be. Yeah, thanks again, Rick. Um, look, I mean, my story more or less started, it would have been about four years ago. So I was always pretty uh, pretty enthusiastic about endurance physiology in particular, how the body adapts to continuous training and high-intensity interval training, uh, fartlek training, all the different aerobic training methods, and how, how, the, how an individual is able to actually you know, cycle, run, swim faster uh, and essentially become an elite athlete. So I was really interested in, in how the body works. So it started at uni, mate, like, just like most uni students, you know, first and second year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I did a, a Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science, three-year degree down at Deakin University in Burwood. That was about four, I finished up about four years ago there. Um, and it was my third year where we did some we did some lab testing, so VO2 max testing with lactate analysis, that sort of stuff. All, all the fancy stuff where you've got the tube in your mouth and, and you're doing a, a maximal exercise test and you're basically cycling to exhaustion. And I remember at the end of the test, because I, I was a triathlete myself, I did some cycling as well, really interested in that in the performance side of, of um, endurance sport. At the end of the test, the, the, um, the, the teacher, they, they came over and said, oh, you got five litres of absolute VO2. Oh. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> um, I said, that's cool. What, what does it mean? He's like, oh, that's huge. Five litres is huge. I'm like, well, what does that mean for my performance? Like, oh, you've got to, you know, you, you can use a lot of oxygen. So long story short, it, they didn't really know how to interpret that information. So I always liked that stuff. I wasn't massive on the strength and conditioning. I didn't mind it, but I really I was really uh, enthusiastic about the endurance physiology. So when I finished my degree, I had to look around, like, what, what can I do? How can I go and conduct this VO2 max testing? I had a look at so I had a quick Google search. Basically, um, only thing that I could really find was the Victorian Institute of Sport, more or less. Uh, it happened happened to be just by fluke they had a uh, an opening for internship, unpaid internship positions, which is pretty common in in the exercise science field. So I applied for that. Uh, got knocked back straight away. Didn't even get a look in at that. Um, so I had a look. I sort of researched the cost of the equipment, what what it looks like, what it was going to involve to start up my own facility, and uh, Basically, just started out of home, mate. This, you know, um, bit the bullet. Started out of home. Did that for eighteen months or so, uh, as we continued to grow and and get the word out there about how this sort of testing can help endurance athletes. And uh, now we're at an office down in Mulgrave. Uh, I've been there for the last 
just over 12 months now. Yeah, and you have done super. And he, look, Lukey does put a lot of great content out there and he's not hard to find on the socials, Mets Performance Consulting and the like on YouTube. But the way he just described that then was, I think, pretty indicative of, of how a lot of endurance age groupers or sub-elite or elite athletes would probably not understand. a lot. They might read or they might even go and and, and be tested on by, by a university or something, but possibly not get the feedback that Luke and his team... Um, do so well and I really love the feedback they give to the athletes and then post post testing what they can do for them but more importantly when was the first time so post that test at uni did we they gave you no info to go in apart from the absolute measure did they, did they give you your actual VO2 volume and all that kind of stuff yeah, so, so basically there's two types of VO2 max. We have what's called relative and absolute. Absolute is just the total amount of oxygen you can use. So that was that five litres. So five what was your litres. relative number, do you remember? Uh, well, oh, I would have been weighing about 80 kilos at the yeah. time. So you just do 5,000 yeah, so divided by 80, which is, what's that work out to be? Let me pull the calculator up. Uh, so we're looking at about 62.5. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about so right. That's, so that, that's, that's very good for just a uni uh, triathlete, yes. But low six is very good. Did they give you any training, make like any 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 zones, anything to go on with there? That's when when did you start to develop that yourself? When did you start to think, okay, there's a, there's a big gap in this private sector, to to be able to educate the general pop? Yeah, it's actually funny. I remember because I, originally I didn't I didn't know, mm. uh, and not many people do. So it was just a case of doing some further research myself, just jumping on uh, the database called EBSCOhost. It's basically got all the, the latest research in in the sports industry, and I've, I just found um, I found some research articles talking about how it's, like the, the relationship between your ventilations. That's how much you're breathing in. That's how much air you're breathing in. The relationship between how much air you're breathing in and um, how much oxygen you're extracting out of that air. So I don't want to go into too much detail, particularly because we can't see what I'm doing with my hands here. But basically, when you start to, there comes a point where you start to breathe in more air and you're not extracting the same amount of oxygen out of it. So it, it, it starts to almost decouple in a sense. Um, and long story short, there's two points where that happens and they, they work out to be where your zone two, as most of the listeners would know, is. So where you get that aerobic long run zone. And the next time it deflects is called your threshold or your, your functional threshold, your anaerobic threshold, your lactate threshold, all means the same thing, um, which is the maximum intensity you can hold for an hour. So really, it was almost trial and error in a sense, just doing some self-research there. Um, I looked at the Australian Institute of Sport as well, found out some, some lactate numbers and some lactate information there. Um, but it's almost... a I'm not going to say it's a, it's a new system. Like it's been around, but it's about putting the pieces of the puzzle together because it's a pretty niche sort of yeah, it thing. Is. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Sorry, I didn't probably ask it the best, but there, it is. There's a generic zones for your VO2 stuff, and but your stuff's really good, and you can you really do, I guess, communicate it very well. <clears throat> so your athletes can go away and go, and the coaches can go away and go. This is fantastic info, and we can really use this over the next eight to ten to twelve week block. So Mets is going well. The age groupers that you get, which there are a lot of triathletes especially, yeah. but distance runners, middle distance runners, and now a lot of uni and high schools involved in the education space. You tell, Can you tell us age groupers, no matter the distance or the sport, why we need to test, mate? Yeah, so disclaimer to start with if, you, if you're unfit if you've come off doing absolutely nothing you can just go and go for a jog and you're going to get fitter okay so where, where the vo2 max testing comes in and where this lab testing comes in there's a there's a few reasons there's a few 
few times when it's really, really applicable. So number one is those who are really time poor, which is everybody in age group, mate. Everyone's got kids, they've got a family, they've got work, full-time work. So when people only, maybe only have 10 hours a week to train and they're training for a marathon or an Ironman or whatever it is, we want to make sure those 10 hours are done as, as smart and as, and as efficiently as possible. So a lot of, a lot of traditional coaches will say, let's go do 20 hours of volume, which you know, in theory, if you don't get injured and you have the time available and you can rest enough and you get the nutrition in, that's, that's, that's sound. But for the guys and girls that don't have that time, well, what we want to do is we want to do this testing so we can identify your training zone, so we can tell you exactly what that heart rate should actually be for your long runs how fast you should be running for your interval sessions um, and exactly what stimulus that's providing your body. So we, we identify your strengths and your weaknesses based on the testing. We see how well your lungs are working, your heart, your muscles, and then we say, all right, well, you're very good at, uh, maybe your aerobic capacity is good. You can use oxygen really well, but as soon as you start to produce the lactic acid, that burn in the legs, uh, your body starts to shut down, your muscles don't, don't function very well. So we can actually say, all right, well, what, why do we want to go and do lots of long, slow running when we can go do this type of interval training to give you the best benefit in that 10 hours, which is going to give you similar benefit to doing 18 hours of a bit of this, but not really much of anything else, if that makes sense. So time poor people is a, is a massive one. Uh, the, the second type is those that start to plateau. As I said, if you're not fit, just go out and start training consistently, you're going to get fitter. There's going to come a point where you're going to start to plateau. You're not going to see improvements just from doing, uh, what would you say, airy-fairy training. You know, it's a lack of structure in your training. You're going to start to plateau. So again, we can say, all right, what, which physiological area can we improve on the most? And let's go give you training advice based on that. Uh, so they're the two main reasons that people come in. And the third type of person that's attracted is the analytical thinker, the people who like to be able to quantify their numbers. They like to see exactly how fit they are and then go and do the training and then measure the results. Uh, and it's almost a motivator to see those improved numbers as they go. I, um, I'd add a fourth one in, and even the people that are on the bubble, like maybe they haven't quite hit a plateau, but they're on a bubble just trying it. They might be a 30 seconds away from a a qualifier for an event or a world champs or age group world champs or a Kona or you might be five minutes away from a Boston qualifier type or you might want to break 40 minutes for 10 but you're on the bubble you're not running bad but you're not you're certainly not progressing as quick as you'd like I definitely would get tested I have been tested um, a couple of times not for a long time but I love I'm look I'm for people wouldn't believe it but I love the analytical data as well and I, I certainly love and we speak about in a lot of our blogs and videos the four or five main components of endurance sports, and Lukey would agree with me here. And I'll probably get him to put it... It's hard... Not one's more important than the other, but I could probably guess what he was going to say. But you line up the big four or five, Luke. You've obviously got VO2 max. You've got lactate threshold. You've got running economy. You've got psychological strength. You've got those main four. Genetics, and I guess that doesn't come in as, as much to play. What are the other couple that you would say? So we talk about VO2, lactate, threshold, running economy every single day mm-hmm. in here. Like, and then am I missing any that you would include in that group of five or six? Yeah, there's probably a couple. I, I've, I think the first ever blog post I ever created was the, the seven core components of endurance success. And, and you've hit the nail on the head for the major ones. like VO2 max, okay, how much oxygen your body can take in, transport, utilise. Um, that only correlates to about a 65%. Um, it has a 65% correlation between who wins a race, basically. So what it means is it's all good having a VO2 max really high, but you can't use it for more than about three minutes. Lactate threshold, one, hardest... My, one of my favourite, if not my It favorite. probably is the favourite, mate. That, that's got a 94% correlation, okay? Because that's how hard you can run for an hour, you know? 
which for most people, they're going to be racing more than three minutes. Not everybody, but most people, okay? Running economy is massive. If we can run faster using less oxygen and creating less lactic acid as a byproduct, that's going to be beneficial, okay? Uh, you touched on psychological. That's absolutely a massive one as well. Uh, you need to be motivated to, to run. Um, if not, then you're going to get what's called so central and peripheral fatigue. You, you, you're just not motivated to run, okay? Yeah, yeah definitely a big one. Uh, another one I like to go through, which is almost genetics, as you said, but heat load, stress, and dehydration. Okay, so. Yes, I didn't touch on that at all. Yeah, Continue. look at acclimatisation. Look great. at um, Callum Hawkins, who collapsed in the in the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games marathon. So came from uh, Scottish bloke, isn't he? He's yes, Scottish. Came from Scotland. Very dramatic that one. That it was day. very dramatic. He couldn't finish the race. He was winning by a fair while, and um, he, he collapsed due to to heat exhaustion. So what actually happened is he's from Scotland, where it's pretty cold. It's not exactly hot over there. Go to Gold Coast, where it's quite hot, and it was, I think it was quite humid that day as well. It was a thirty plus degree day. Look, he did everything right. He actually came over three weeks plus prior to acclimatise. But again, it's, it's partly genetics, partly where you grow, grow up. You can only acclimatise so much in a short period of time. Okay, so basically, he got he he started to sweat quicker than he could replenish the fluid. He became dehydrated. His body started to, it actually stopped sweating because he wanted to conserve the fluid he had left because you don't want to die. As soon as you stop sweating, your heat load, so your core body temperature increases very high. You get central fatigue. Your brain starts to, to stop sending signals to the muscles and that's why he sort of fell over and, and, and couldn't finish the race. So that's a massive one. You look at who wins the Malaysian Ironman or, or the Singapore Marathon. Generally, it's the locals. Not always, but generally, just because they're so acclimatized to that, to that environment. Um, I'll stop you just yeah, there. Go, How go. many weeks? Like, I know they used to say 14 to 21 days. Yep. And we very briefly touched on it in our endurance catch-up because of the Melbourne Marathon being so warm. Um, like, for a general pop, it's just... It, you've just got to, you've just got to slow down, do you not? Like, is there any other way... So say that I'm going to... Say I go to Gold Coast and it's 32 degrees yep. and we've been training in the winter in Melbourne. Yep. Uh, but it, it unfortunately on July 1, 2019, it's 32 degrees. I've got this 245 I might be after. It's going to be quite unlikely that I run that 245. Do I slow down 10 seconds a K? Well, how do we adjust on the day? I know it's a question we've yep. noticed, but no, that's cool. it's, it's almost impossible to acclimatise for a South Eastern Melbourneian. Yep. Yeah, so let me break this down into two parts. So the recommendations for somebody acclimatising is, is smack bang on what you said there, 14 to 21 days. Generally it takes about 14 days, so two weeks, for one of the really key adaptations to occur. And what that adaptation is, it's actually an increased sweat rate, so you start to sweat more, but a decreased sodium loss. So you sweat more, but you don't lose the electrolytes. If you don't lose the electrolytes, then you're gonna be less likely to cramp, okay? We like to sweat, because it actually helps to cool the body down. We lose more than 70% of our heat load through sweating. The problem that Callum Hawkins and a lot of people have is that uh, short-term acclimatization can only do so much. So he did everything right, but it was just, you know, he's from Scotland, mate. Like, it's not, you know, you can't Absolutely. adapt that yeah, well. You can't, you can't adapt like that in 14 days, no. So the best case scenario is that you go over two to three weeks prior to your event and you actually train during that period. Okay? What people do often wrong, especially the amateur guys who maybe just don't know, is they, they'll go over and, you know, they're, they're in their taper. They relax, you know, relax, relax for two weeks, all right? So the general guidelines are that you need to actually exercise at 50% VO2 max. Now that's just your long run pace. That's nice and comfy, really, really easy. Um, but you want to do it for between 30 and 60 minutes and it only has to be about twice a week. But you do, even in your taper period, you still have to train, okay? It's fantastic advice, that one. Yeah, no stress. <laughs> that's good, I like <laughs> That's for free, mate. Um, so let's say you roll in, it's a hot day. There's, you know, you, a lot of people fly in, fly out. That's understandable. So it's a hot day, what are you going to do? I, 
I mean, Callum Hawkins is a, is a perfect example. Who he tried to he tried to go hell for leather and he, he didn't finish the race. So, um, uh, it's going to be different for each individual. Everybody sweats a different rate. I'm just going to give you general advice here. This isn't backed by science. This is what I tell my guys. I try to run at a similar perceived exertion. Okay. Mm. So a lot of people will say, oh, based on my 20 minute time trial test that you do on a treaty or whatever it is, I know I can hold you know, 165 heart rate during a race. That heart rate's going to be a lot higher in Gold Coast than it was. Anybody who did Gold Coast, you find your heart rate was probably 175 instead of 165, okay? The reason it's higher is because what your body's doing is it's sending blood to the skin because you start to sweat, right? The body's trying to cool itself down. It's also trying to uh, fuel the muscles. So what I'd recommend is throw your heart rates out the window. Don't worry about it. It's going to be higher than, than what you anticipate. If, if you have set the target of, oh, I want to hold 165 heart rate, I would run at whatever that perceived exertion is on the day. So it might be 175, but it feels like 165, okay? Try to get the fluids in. If you're running by pace, again, I'd be taking an estimate, like if you're aiming for four-minute Ks or six-minute Ks, it's going to be different, but, mm. you know, you would be absolutely dropping that pace off by, uh, you know, anywhere, from, honestly, it depends how hot it is, anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds if it's really hot, Um but my advice would be to go... PR go, is a great example. Yeah, go by rating of perceived exertion. Yeah, I'm actually massive on perceived exertion. Yeah, me mate, too, mate. Well, for race day, absolutely. We use race paces, but for 15 years we've used PRE in the business. So I, I also love it. And especially that's a, a great, very simple way to understand it, listeners, is your heart rate will be higher. Do you want to quickly touch on stroke volume very quickly in the heat and then explain that? Because people will have seen even in Melbourne with 28 degrees, their heart rate through the roof, and but they they felt running like they were running slower, and of course they were. So the PRE is a great nugget of wisdom for you guys to take out of it. Do you want to quickly touch on the stroke volume in the heat? Yeah, of course. So stroke volume is how much blood your left ventricle, so your heart, how much blood your heart is beating out every single beat, okay? When we take how much blood your heart is beating and times that by your heart rate, we get what's called cardiac output, okay? So how much per beat times by how many beats per minute is how much blood it's beating in a minute, right? Now, our body wants to maintain this cardiac output. Let's just say, for example, we're running at 4 minute 30 pace, all right? And for that, we need a cardiac output of you know, 4,000 milliliters, right? How do we make up that 4,000 milliliters? Well, if let's say our stroke volume is 20, we can do 20 times by 200, just for example. 20 times by 200 is 4,000. Now, stroke volume will decrease when we dehydrate. Now, the reason that is the case is because our blood's made up of a few components. 45% of our blood is red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. Those red blood cells is what carries the oxygen. The other 55% is called blood plasma. Okay, so that's mostly fluid. When we sweat, we lose the blood plasma, which is just over half of our blood. So let's say, for example, we become quite dehydrated because we can't replenish our fluid. We're losing blood volume. Half of it's fluid, and we're starting to lose that fluid. So our blood becomes thicker. We get less total blood overall. If we have less blood overall, we're going to have less blood returning to the heart. If less blood returns to the heart, we're going to beat out less blood per beat. So instead of our stroke volume being 20, maybe it's now, I'm going to exaggerate it, no, let's say 15, all right, 15. Now, I can't do the math on that, but if you do 15 times 200, that's only 3,000 mils. So we're going to need to go 15 times, what is it, 260, for example, to get the same cardiac output. So the reason your heart rate is going to be higher if you become dehydrated, your stroke volume decreases, so your heart rate will increase to maintain that same blood flow per minute in conjunction with it being hot, so your, your heart's going to be working overtime to send blood to your skin, so your sweat glands start to sweat to help cool your body down as well. You explained that a lot better than I would have. That's spot on, Lukey, and it's how good is that? We know now it's going to happen. Like, you can't avoid this stuff, especially you can't out-tough it or think you can out-tough it if you're just not that kind of athlete that is uh, ready for that heat. 
if you feel like you're not a bad runner in the heat, that could be a thing as well. So we just spoke about the top five or six. I think you had one more. But there are some of us, or some, not, not me, but some of us that do enjoy running the heat. That, that's just purely genetics or, or ancestry, would you imagine? Uh, it definitely could be. Yeah. Um, I, I've got quite a few guys that love to run in the heat. Yeah. They said they just their rating perceived exertion says the same. They just don't yeah. feel like it affects you. Like it affects everybody to a, to an extent, but a lot of it is to do with with you know you adapt to the climate that you that you're in. So um, some people do perform a lot better than others. It's partly genetic and, and partly you know where what your background is. Fantastic. We spent a bit of time on that, but I think especially this year with Gold Coast and Melbourne being what they mm, were, definitely. I think it was really fitting. Are we missing one more? One, what was it? I think that you had six. Yeah, so we got socks. So um, two lactate uh, economy. Economy, the big three. Then psychological. That was really good. Yeah. Dehydration. So what, so what dehydration? Do you just call that purely? Is that part of nutrition or not? I call it actually. That's a good. We just remember the next one. So I, I just call it heat load, stress, and dehydration. Okay. So being able to, to maintain your body's that's fantastic. Core body so temperature. Check that blog out that Luke is right and. Yeah, so nutrition, and I had recovery somewhere in oh, there as well. So of course. Recovery is, yeah, it's common sense. Yeah, so nutrition, obviously, um, particularly the longer you go, if you need to complete a marathon, you know, we're going to use car- a combination of carbohydrates and fats. The body prefers to use carbohydrates, particularly at higher intensity. If you run out of carbohydrates and you can only use fat, um, fat takes about two and a half times more oxygen to break down, so you are going to slow down significantly in your intensity. They're spot on and succinct. We will get Lukey on over the next few months to talk more in depth and a bit more focus on a couple of these little things, especially for you guys that um, want to exactly um, continue to continue to improve your performance over that longer stuff. There's a lot of guys coming out of Melbourne and Gold Coast that probably weren't stoked with a few of their performances. We had a lot of PBs as well, but a lot of people certainly weren't happy especially after 20 24 28 week programs so it does happen in the heat but you're not alone it does happen to the best now with the most important lukey is there a most important the answer is i reckon no you need them all but in as a performance parameter most important out of those seven for you did you have vo2 on top uh no i don't uh what's what distance are we talking i'm gonna be yeah that's good yeah no. I'm going to say 10,000 on the track. 10,000 on the track. I'm going to say velocity at lactate threshold. So how fast you can run at your lactate threshold. And we know how much. So the Africans, East Africans, aren't necessarily, they don't blow the lab test up necessarily, but their running economy and their lactate threshold is through the roof. The greatest number you've ever seen in relative VO2? Um, That I've tested. um, Yeah, 84.8. Wow. Who was that? That was, uh, it was actually, no, no, it was it was actually Cameron Nichols from Bike Chaser. That's, yeah. That's so. exceptional. So relative, so I know uh, Prefontaine at 80s, uh, actually Ashton Fraser, who was at one of our first interviewees, English Channel swimmer in here, she's in the low 80s as well, which is yeah, ridiculous. Um, Lance Armstrong, what was he? Uh, he was a, between 84 and 86, 80. depending on what he weighed. And I know about us, that was a, uh, was quite high as well but there's been some really good distance runners and Australia with Derek Clayton and a few other Aussies like low 60s and for an elite marathoner running 208 and winning medals that's um well that was back then 208 that's very low you would imagine but what what I wanted to get to is running economy which we continue to work on just from running and of mm-hmm. course strength training which we won't talk about today running economy just comes with time and volume and obviously natural gait and lactate threshold which is I just wanted Lukey to touch on this because it's my favourite 
but we won't spend too much time because we'll have another episode on this. Lactate threshold, how we can improve it, how you test it for the general pop guys, mate. Yeah, so lactate threshold being the maximum intensity that you can perform at before your lactic acid accumulation starts to go through the roof, essentially. So it's a, it's a maximum intensity you can hold for 45 to 60 minutes. There's, there's two ways that you can train it. If we directly want to improve our lactate threshold, I know we don't want to go too long, but it's a complicated question. So we can actually improve our lactate. You can take your time on this. Yeah, so we can actually improve our lactate threshold technically in two ways. We can either improve your VO2 max or we can improve your lactate threshold. Okay, so let, let me use an example. Most people, the average individual, will, will be able to hold 70% of their VO2 max at their lactate threshold. Okay, so they might, I always say VO2 max is your car engine. Lactate threshold is how many cylinders it can work on. You could be a V4, V6, or a V8 engine. You could be off that V8 engine, you might work on five cylinders, six cylinders, seven cylinders, so on and so forth. Okay, so if somebody has a, a VO2 max of, let's say, 60, and, and their threshold is at 70% of that. They're a V6 engine working on about four cylinders, okay? So we want to get those cylinders up, right? So how can we how can we improve our lactate threshold? If we improve our VO2 max and maintain that 70% threshold, that's going to improve our, our lactate threshold as well. So what that means is, if, we're, if our VO2 max is 60 and we can hold 70% of that, if you get that up to 70, you still should be able to hold 70% of that, okay? That's going to be a higher, a higher speed. Okay, if that makes sense. The other way that we can improve it, all right, well, all right, so we've now upgraded this V6 to a V8. Now we want to get that V8 working instead of only on five cylinders, we want to work that on eight cylinders. And now that's our, that's our lactate threshold. So the way we would do that is by more or less doing interval training or, or higher end tempo run. So a tempo run would be something that you could hold for an hour, hour and a half, even two hours, where you, you're starting to feel the burn. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's somewhat comfortable. And then when we really get towards that threshold, that's where we're at you know, an eight out of 10 perceived exertion. You can feel the, the, the burn in the legs and the arms and you're working really, really hard. So uh, we normally break these into intervals more or less psychologically so you can actually keep the quality of the session higher. So um, anywhere around a two to one work to rest ratio or more is pretty good. So for example, we could do, um, if, we, if we identified your threshold at four minute Ks and the way we would do that in a lab is uh, we would use a small blood sample where we would take a prick of your finger. Uh, it's going to go from one to one point five to two to two point five to three to four, and then from four to ten. We know that that's the, that's the speed. Or we would do a twenty-minute time trial on the track, take off five percent. That's you know rough idea. Um, we would get you doing say ten minutes at that pace that works out to be with maybe half the recovery. So it'd be ten on five off or less rest. Ten on two off. Ten on one off. Okay. So we're doing more work than we are rest. We're basically filling the muscles full of lactic acid having a partial recovery and then going again. And we're repeating that for a number of intervals. And because of the, the lactic acid is present in the body, the body will start to become better at buffering. So basically dissolving and clearing out that lactic acid so we can tolerate it a bit better. That's very good. And that's that's what I wanted you to extract out of you. Because yeah. there, there is different ways to skin a cat and there's more than one. But at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of athletes out there train because... They see Gabriel Celesi doing it, they see Mark Allen do it, but they're not sure why. So, like Luke, since as long as I can remember, I'm fascinated with the physiology of improvement and performance and how to enhance that and why we do what we do. That kind of drill, that kind of session that he just said was perfect. And I love lactate threshold work. I love and 10K half marathon type mm. paces, training paces. But again, you can't have that without doing the VO2 intervals and above even some anaerobic work, and you can't have all those without doing the volume. And so there is a lot of ingredients that go into the cake. And at the end of the day, 
what we preach is the continuity of every of continuing to stay on the park and injury free. But if you what if you get something like Luke's work with the structure, you're very rarely going to break. Like Luke said, like the structure's there, so you just can't you can't go wrong because you're following the program with with the um, long volume work. Um, um, this is going to be the last mm-hmm. question, and then we'll just we'll sign off for today. With your long volume work mm-hmm. in your experience, now people have different opinions on this, but if I'm a marathoner and I am doing my two and a half, three hour, two and a half hour runs, let's just say, mm-hmm. with VO2 max relative numbers, um, how much does that long run help to build that? With I don't want, I don't want to get too much into mitochondria, yep. capillaries, all that stuff yeah, just yet, yeah, but yeah. would we obviously, I just said we need the intervals, we need the tempos, we need everything, yep. we need that stuff. The long running, mm-hmm. how how much of that puzzle does that play? So how much percentage of that puzzle would that make up? Okay, as fifty five percent of road Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look I mean, the, the general rule is, as you've heard and everyone else heard, is the eighty twenty rule, where it's eighty percent long slow and twenty percent interval. Um, I guess one of the one of the reasons a lot of athletes come to us is because we can sort of get that insight into into that and what that proportion should be. Uh, and, and let me explain that. So basically, again, I'll try to go through it quite quickly and quite simply, but there's three fundamental ways we can improve your physiology. We can improve what's called aerobic capacity. So that's your ability to use oxygen for a set duration, a set distance. So that's your long run pace. Right? There's no good running a marathon if you can't actually keep your heart rate nice and steady throughout that whole marathon. If you can't run the distance, you're not going to perform very well. Another way we can do it is through aerobic power. Aerobic power is how quickly we can use that oxygen. That's really what your VO2 max is. Right? So they're doing those really high intensity interval sessions, two on, two off, etc. The third way is through improving that lactate threshold, which we just spoke about before, 10 on, five off, so on and so forth. Okay. So what we can do is, uh, through the testing that we, we conduct, we can actually identify how strong these three areas are. And a lot of people are generally pretty strong in two and, and lack in one. So let me give you a case study example. I had an athlete who came to me, he was a triathlete. He was doing 23 hours of uh, training a week, which is quite a lot, obviously, and of that, he was doing about ninety percent easy aerobic. Okay, so when he came to me, guess what he was strong in? Mm. Aerobic capacity. Okay, so he's already had that volume, had the Ks and the legs. Where he where he was weak was his lactate threshold. Okay, because he didn't do stuff at and above that threshold. So as soon as he started to produce lactic acid, uh, he went to uh, he was rubbish. Yeah, he could, he couldn't hold above that. So what we actually did, if we cut his training from twenty three hours to eight hours, but those eight hours were predominantly intervals. We actually cut cut right down on the, on the volume. And for that athlete, it resulted in a, a 12% improvement in three months, okay? On the flip side, you have somebody who, they don't do any aerobic training. They re- have really good aerobic power because they do a lot of interval as well as their lactate threshold. They might be able to hold seven millimoles. So most people can only have four. That's a lot, a lot they can hold. Um, but their aerobic capacity is really poor. So this athlete needs 90%. Of the aerobic, so look as a general as a general rule, I'm a little bit so long as you're not injured, so long as you know your body's healthy, so on and so forth. Um, perfect world. Yeah, perfect world. I'm probably closer to a 70-30 split, yep. being 70 aerobic, 30 is is interval, That's with the traditional good. being 80-20. But the long answer is it really depends on on what you need, what yeah. your strengths and weaknesses are, it's, and that is right. And look, every every individual is different, but I'm glad Luke said that. The 80-20 stuff's fantastic, but a lot of it's been done around elite guys and guys doing 160 to 200k a week at times so if you're a general pop guy and especially depending on your weaknesses and that's what we want to ascertain in this testing if if you've got a weakness we can cut your volume down and actually get you a lot quicker and a lot more efficient which is the number one goal i love it and i love all that testing mate and we need to 
we will definitely get you on again to focus on single topics because I just wanted a bit of an overview today. But the, the listener that's running out, listen to this right now, or got, got you in, in the ears in the car, he's going to get a lot out of that. Any endurance sport athlete would have might have heard a little bit of that before, but Luke's really good at making it simple, making a lot of complicated stuff sound really simple. If you think that's bloody simple, wait till you see the work on his testing that makes the athlete just, he doesn't have to think. So everything everything from this test review is fantastic. How does an age group are getting get in contact for your lactate testing, your VO2 testing, you do some other testing as well. How do they get in contact with you, mate? Yeah, I mean, easiest way is to go to metsperformance.com, M-E-T-S for metsperformance.com. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. I've got a, what we call the Mets Mastermind, and basically every piece of content we create, we chuck up on this free uh, website. We've got over 100 YouTube videos, uh, 30-odd blogs, I think we're up to about 65 podcast episodes. So we just try to, as you said, Rick, we just try to simplify uh, endurance physiology. We try to not use jargon. We try to talk to the everyday individual. Um, so we'll put the, put the link there if you do want to learn more. But otherwise, yeah, metsperformance.com. It's all very self-explanatory, and we'll go from there. And just finally, for any coaches like ourselves, we've got Luke coming into runners here, and there's a few coaches, tri-clubs, um, his team goes out to schools, university, or definitely high schools in the physical education space. So if anyone is out there and, and wants METS on board, they do a lot of that stuff, which as a year 11 and year 12 student is phenomenal. But as a coach or a distance coach, it's, um, it's even more valuable. So I thank Luke again, and I can't wait till we have him on the coach's corner next time. Any of endurance athletes, make sure you check out the show notes for METS performance. If you're doing something today, make sure it's going to make you better tomorrow. Thanks, guys.